Week 14 of the NFL season is here. Buccaneers versus Vikings, Raiders versus Colts, Steelers versus Bills, Chiefs, Dolphins. They're gonna be great games this weekend. I'm excited to see those games. I'm gonna give my predictions, I'm gonna preview those games in a bit. In the Premier League, Wolves versus Aston Villa, Manchester City Derby, United versus City. Who's gonna win? Who's gonna reign? Supreme in Manchester. Also, Everton versus Chelsea. Ancelotti versus Lampard. Will Lampard be able to beat one of his mentors in Ancelotti? This is Hard to Handle Sports Podcast, episode number 21. My name's Ismael San Juan. Let's get started. First and foremost, week 14 of the NFL season is here. We have a lot of teams fighting for playoff positioning. There's two games in particular that have a lot of implications for the playoffs vikings versus buccaneers vikings are currently the seventh seed buccaneers are the sixth seed and the nfc and in the afc colts versus raiders colts are the last playoff team they're the seventh seed raiders are the first team out i believe they're the eighth seed they're one below them so let's get started vikings versus buccaneers um vikings come in like i said they're the seventh seed they're six and six the buccaneers are the sixth seed, they're seven and five, they're coming off their bye. After starting one and five, the Vikings have won five out of their last six games to put themselves back into playoff contention. They're six and six, they're very much alive in the playoff hunt. And the Buccaneers started off hot, started off hot. They started off six and two, and they've lost they've lost three out of their last four. They've gone one and three over the last four weeks, going into their bye week. So they're definitely trending down. Tom Brady has looked a little shaky. I'm not going to lie. Uh, I think the, the change in offense has um, hindered how well he's played. A lot of that goes to Bruce Arians, but a lot of that goes to Tom Brady. Bruce Arians did say that Tom Brady is the one that's calling the plays. So I just see a lot of people blaming Bruce Arians, but not a lot of people Brady, um, blaming Tom Brady. I think it should be split. Uh, the blame should be split both ways. Tom Brady is definitely responsible for his play. Um, he's thrown seven interceptions over the last four games. Unacceptable. He has to cut down on those turnovers. But the Buccaneers are coming off their bye week. They had a late bye week. They had a bye week on week 13. So because of that, I do think that they should be ready for the Vikings. Um, the Vikings struggled last week. They played the Jaguars, and it took them all the way to overtime to beat Mike Lennon and the Jaguars. And say what you will about Mike Lennon. Um, he was a Buccaneer, and then they gave him... They gave him a little bit of a shot to be the starting quarterback there, and he didn't, it didn't work out. But he's a, he's been a journeyman quarterback. And if, if, you, if you're struggling to beat the Jaguars with Mike Lennon in overtime, the one-win Jaguars, then I have, a, I have a hard time believing that you're going to be able to beat the Buccaneers. Even if you've won five out of the last six, the, the Vikings are known for the rush, the rush attack. They have Dalvin Cook, top three running back in the NFL. He, some people have him as the best. Others have Derrick Henry. What, however you li- you however you list him, however your list goes, you, Dalvin Cook is elite. The whole offense re- revolves around Dalvin Cook and being able to do play action off of Dalvin Cook running. And the Bucks have the number one rush defense in the NFL, so they should be able to at least slow down Dalvin Cook, not let him gash them for long long um long runs. So, but the Buccaneers did get burned. By the Chiefs the week before um, they played, the, the week before they went to the bye week, Tyreek Hill went berserk. He had like 200 yards in the first quarter. He ended up with like almost 300 yards and three touchdowns. So they're going to have their hands full with 
Justin Jefferson and Thielen. Um, Cook, I, I think they should be able to stop Cook. But then the, the real question is, do they have the back-end cornerbacks? Do they have the back-end secondary to slow down Thielen, to slow down Jefferson? Ju- Justin Jefferson is a monster. He's The way he runs his routes, the way he sets up cornerbacks is elite. For a rookie, that's ridiculous. Just goes to show how good the LSU team was last year. Having Justin Jefferson, having uh, Edward Hilaire, having Joe Burrow. Amazing LSU team. Probably super stacked team. But Justin Jefferson, Thielen. Thielen hasn't had that many yards this year. He's gone. His yardage has gone down, but he's scoring touchdowns at a pretty high rate. He has over 10 touchdowns. So the combination of Justin Jefferson and Thielen could give the Buccaneers some 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 uh, some troubles. Like even versus the Chiefs, the Chiefs didn't run on them, but they were burning them through the air like crazy. So it doesn't matter if if their run defense is good when you're able to burn them through the air. <clears throat> so sometimes a little a little sometimes the 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 rushing stats are skewed because the Buccaneers have won big games, have taken big leads on teams. Like I remember they took a big lead against the Panthers. They blew them out. So a lot of times the your rush defense doesn't fully paint the whole picture. Like you could have the number one rush defense, but if your offense is always leading and the other team that you're playing is always behind, then they're gonna rely on on throwing the ball. So it might skew your numbers a little bit low. Regardless, the Buccaneers do have a good defense a good rush defense, so I think they should be able to slow Dalvin Cook down at least somewhat. And they have Kirk Cousins. He he has been playing good. Uh, nothing we did, nothing like amazing, but he has been playing good. He's still susceptible to making some dumb throws. Uh, last week when I was checking in on the Vikings versus the Jaguars game, there was this play where he was rolling to the left, and he he's righty, so rolling to the left is kind of difficult for righty throwers. Like you have to shift your whole body. And I think he had like a wide, he had a pretty open receiver and he tried to shift his body to throw, to make the throw, but he's not like physically gifted like that. Like he has limitations. He's not fast. His, his, his hips aren't as fluid, like let's say Mahomes or something, to be able to just flip the hips and throw at an awkward angle. So he tried to make that throw and his body was just not positioned the right way. His arm strength is not there. He just kind of hung it up. But thankfully, uh, since they were rolling left, the defense was kind of behind and the ball just fell flat. He was left on the ground, and even the commentators are like, "Oh, those are some throws that, you know, Kirk Cousin has has to not not make because then it, it gives the other team a chance to score." But Kirk Cousins will will do that. He has he had a pick six last last week. wasn't really his fault. It was off a tip ball. But Kirk Cousins is gonna put you in positions to make some plays. So he's no Patrick Mahomes. So even though the Buccaneers got burned, got gashed, even even against Patrick Mahomes after the first quarter, they kind of hunkered down. And they weren't. They were. They didn't get burned that bad the rest of the three quarters. So I do think the Buccaneers have what it takes to at least slow down Cousins. The problem should be if if Brady could just keep that offense afloat. I think they need to establish the run, not go for so many deep shots. Do the short passing game, two tight ends, small short routes that Brady's comfortable with. But Brady, he's had a pretty good season: three thousand three hundred yards, twenty eight touchdowns, eleven interceptions. The interceptions he needs to cut down. But on the other side, Cousins has 3,073 yards, 26 touchdowns, 12 interceptions. So both quarterbacks are towards the top of the interceptions they've thrown. So we might see a lot of interceptions this game. Uh, I think Brady will cut it down just because he is coming off the bye week. He had two weeks to prepare. He probably studied a lot of tape 
Brady is smart. He's still a genius. He's, he's cerebral on the field. So I think that bye week is really going to help. Cousins, I saw him struggle a little bit or had some shaky play against the Jaguars. They did come back and win. So, I mean, they got the win. They're 6-6. Six and six. They do have the last playoff spot. But uh, I just have I just have uh, more faith in the, in the Patriot-led Buccaneers. The Vikings have the 26th ranked pass defense. And they have the 19th ranked rush defense. So they've been up and down the whole season. But they're middle of the pack, if, if not lower middle of the pack. So I think Brady... And their offense is just going to make more plays than the Vikings offense, especially because the Vikings offense relies against, uh, again, like I said, on Dalvin Cook. Brady, they have so many weapons. They have uh, Evans, Godwin, Antonio Brown, Gronkowski, uh, Fournette. So they have they have a lot of weapons. I think the Vi- I think the Buccaneers come out, establish the run, and play a game that Brady's more familiar with in his time with um, the Patriots. I have the Buccaneers winning. 28 to 21. It's a one possession game. Brady gets the win and they keep moving along in their quest to they're not going to win the division, but they should be a wild card spot. And as far as the Vikings, uh I don't know. The the Cardinals play the Giants and the Giants have been playing good. So even if they lose, they still might hold on to that last playoff spot. We'll see how it plays out, but they should still have a chance going into the last few weeks after these weeks cuz the Cardinals by no means are our world beaters right now, they're slipping too. So Vikings, if you lose to the Buccaneers, it's not the end of the world. But I do have you guys losing. I do having you guys losing your second game in seven, in the last seven. <clears throat> but it doesn't take away from the fact that uh, you guys flipped your season around. I didn't see it coming, but you guys definitely did. Uh, you guys took care of the easier part of your schedule. And shout out to the Vikings for doing that. But I, once again, my prediction, Buccaneers 28, Vikings 21. <clears throat> And basically, the AFC, the AFC counterpart for this game is the Colts versus the Raiders. They play on Sunday. Colts come in as a seventh seed in the AFC with an eight and four record, and the Raiders come in as the eighth seed with the seven and five record. It's gonna be a great game. Playoff positioning. I have whoever wins this game is gonna make the playoffs. Whoever loses this game is pretty much done, in my opinion. Uh, the AFC uh, wild card race is way more tighter than. The NFC, so I, whoever loses this game, uh, you heard it here first, they're not going to make the playoffs. If the Raiders lose, they're done. If the Colts lose, they still have somewhat of a chance just because they can still win the division. We'll see how the Titans do. The Titans still have to play the Packers. But I, I do think this is a pivotal game for both teams. Whoever loses this game, in my opinion, is not going to make the playoffs. This is it. Like This is a dagger on their season. The Colts are coming off a win versus the Texans. Uh, They squeaked out that win. Uh, they got a lucky turnover at the end. The Texans were in position to steal that game, but they fumbled it away. The Raiders are coming off a win versus the Jets, where the Jets kind of threw that game. Greg Williams, I don't know what he was doing. He, he all-out blitz on a Hail Mary situation. Doesn't make sense. Luckily for the Raiders, uh, that did happen, and they sneak out a win. But they did not look uh, they did not look formidable against the Jets. They did not look like a playoff team. And then the last week, the week before that, they got wrecked by the Falcons. And I just think the Raiders are slipping. The Raiders are, after after having probably a high of playing a good game versus the Chiefs, probably thinking, like, the season has a lot of promise. We, we, we beat the Chiefs once. We were competitive against them the second time. We had the lead with about a minute and, like, 40 seconds to go. I think the Raiders were maybe feeling themselves a little too much. They thought they were there already, and they've... 
fallen flat on their face the last two games. Even if they beat the Jets, I do consider them falling flat on their face because the Raiders, if they're real contenders, like a lot of people were saying they were, they should have taken care of the Jets in a way easier fashion. But luckily for them, Rivers has a severe turf toe. He has never been the most mobile quarterback in the NFL by no means. <laughs> if you've seen if you've seen Rivers scramble, you could you could you know what I mean. He he, he he's a little wobbly. He, he can't really move, but he has a severe turf toe, so he's been fighting through that. So he's gonna be even less mobile. And unluckily for the Colts, they will be without the uh, Raven Clark, the left tackle uh, against the Texans. He tore his Achilles. He's out for the season. They're starting, and he wasn't even the starting left tackle. He was the backup left tackle. Constanzo is the starting left tackle. He's still expected to be out. He's he's not back from injury yet. <clears throat> so they will be starting Chas Green. Chas Green. If you guys don't know who Chas Green is, the last time he started a game, he was with the Cowboys. He played uh, the Atlanta Falcons, and he let Adrian Claiborne get four sacks on them. Adrian Claiborne ended up with six sacks that game. Chas Green had four sacks, and then they pulled him. So, and then after that, he's never started a game. So it was bad. It was a horrible game. I went back to look at, at the tape at the at the video for that game and he was terrible he doesn't know how to shuffle his feet well uh he reaches too fast with his hands gets beat really quick he doesn't set the edge the the pass rusher beat him to the edge so many times and that was with Dak Prescott as the quarterback and Dak Prescott is mobile so he was getting away from it could have been more sacks if Dak Prescott wasn't as mobile as he is and he still gave four he got he got benched after that he never started another game his first real action back after that game was last week against the Texans, and he gave up two sacks in his in his limited play. Or I think he I think he got he went in like at the end of the first quarter. So he played three quarters and he gave up two sacks. So that's that's cause for concern for the Colts if you're starting Chaz Green against the Raiders. Thankfully for the Colts, the Raiders don't have an elite pass rush and they don't have like no elite like one person that you think all right we could just put him on Chaz Green and, he, and he'll destroy him he'll he'll take advantage of that matchup but uh one thing that will help the Colts is that Phillip Rivers is one of the fastest quarterbacks that gets rid of the ball from the time he he hikes the ball to the time that he throws the ball he averages 2.5 seconds according to next gen stats so because of that I think that that will be able to neutralize some of the shortcomings that Chaz Green has. Like Rivers is cerebral, he knows where to go with the ball before the before the play starts. So if Rivers is able to do that and get the ball out of his hand quickly, maybe even quicker than 2.5, he might have to cut it to 2.3 now that Chaz Green is starting. Uh he should be he should be uh able to neutralize the weakness that is Chaz Green, but I'm definitely going to keep my eye on that. And if you guys watch the game, keep an eye on the left tackle for the Colts, Chaz Green. I know the Colts line gets heralded as one of the best lines in the NFL, but they've had their injuries. And your left tackle is especially important because he covers your blind side. So we'll see how Chaz Green holds up against the Raiders. That's one of the keys for the game. How well does Chaz Green hold up against the Raiders? And the other one, the Colts defense, the Colts often has been good, but their main, their main reason for... How good they're doing this season is their defense. They shut out the Texans in the second half after giving up, I believe, 20 points in the first half. They let them score zero. It reminded me of the Packers game when they let the Packers score 28 points. In the second half, they they, they just scored a field goal, and they were able to allow the offense to come back. So that Colts defense is legit. But they have struggled in the first half. Like I said, they gave up 20 points to the Texans in the first half. 
They gave up 35 to the Titans the week before that, and they gave up 28 to the Packers in the um, two weeks before that. So I guess the Colts are really good at making halftime adjustments. They they they're able. The coaches are able to break down what happens in the first half during halftime, and they make the adjustments for the second half. And they're they're a different defense in the second half. They're able to shut teams down. So if you're the Raiders, you better have a good script for the first half, for your first opening drive. Not just your first opening drive, because I know a lot of teams they script their plays for their opening drive. That's why when you when you see a team start off hot, sometimes they go cold. A lot of the times it's because they script. They they know exactly what plays they're gonna play right away. Like they have a script, like five five play script, six play script for the first drive, and that's why the 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 first drive sometimes looks a lot more fluid than the rest of the the rest of the game. But they should they should come out with a strong first half approach, try to get that lead because the Colts defense does get pretty stifling in the second half. Um, but they did get burned last week by Watson on off the script plays. Uh, there was a lot of times where it looked like Watson was going to get sacked. And Watson is a monster. He's super strong. He's able to stay on his feet. He's able to shrug off defenders that are bigger than him and then just extend the play, run to the sideline, and throw a ball down the field. He did that a couple times to Kuti last week. Derek Carr does not have that ability. He might be a better thrower of the ball. Like Derek Carr is, is, not, is no, he's not a bad quarterback. He's not an amazing quarterback, but he's not a bad quarterback. He has a good arm. But he just doesn't have that ability to extend plays and make defenders miss and shrug off defenders. So I think that's gonna it's gonna limit the Raiders and their ability to break down this Colts defense. <clears throat> and the Raiders, uh, the last three games, they've given up 144 yards rushing average for the last three games. They gave up 206 to the Jets. And Jonathan Taylor has been playing better for the Colts. He it looks like he's picking it up this second half of the season. So I think the Colts should be able to establish the run game against the Raiders, and that would go a long way f- from keeping Rivers healthy with the turf toe, keeping Chaz Green from protecting just let Chaz Green go pummel some people. Um, the Raiders do have the 24th pass defense, 20, 20th run defense, middle of the pack defense. Not, n- by no means is it a good defense. Even the Jets were going up and down on, on them last last week, so uh, that that does give me some concern for the Raiders. Their play their last two weeks, especially their defense. Their offense has been struggling against the Falcons, came through at the end against the Jets. But the defense is really something to cause concern, in my opinion. The Raiders' defense doesn't look like it's a playoff defense. And T.Y. Hilton, the last week against the Texans, he loves playing against the Texans. He had eight receptions, 110 yards, one touchdown. It's his first game over 100, years, over 100 yards in over like in almost two years. So it's good to see T.Y. Hilton back. Um, they still have Pittman, they have Hines, Jonathan Taylor is getting uh, more carries. It looks like he's getting stronger as the season goes. The Colts defense should be able to stop the Raiders offense, in my opinion. So my prediction for this game, Raiders 31, Raiders 23, Colts 31, have the Colts winning and staying, keeping pace with the rest of the AFC teams, staying in the playoff picture, keeping pace with the Titans, still in contention for the AFC South. That is how I have this game going down. <clears throat> and another game on Sunday that's really interesting. I have my eyes on. Chiefs come in as the second seed. They're 11-1. and one. Dolphins come in as the sixth seed. They're 8-4. and four. Chiefs versus Dolphins on Sunday. I think that's going to be a great game. Brian Flores against Andy Reid. One of the best young coaches in the NFL against Big Red. One of the best coaches of all time. He finally got his Super Bowl. He cemented his status as a 
as a great coach in the NFL, in NFL history. This is the first time the Chiefs go to Miami since winning their Super Bowl there back in February. So I think some good memories for the Chiefs in that stadium, in that city. Last week, the Chiefs beat the Broncos on Sunday Night Football 22-16. to It was a good game. Uh, the Chiefs were struggling a lot of the game. I think they should have taken care of the Broncos way easier. It shouldn't have been a 6-1 game at the end of the, at the, end of the game, uh, especially when the other quarterback wasn't playing that good. Uh, and the Broncos really... I don't think the Broncos should be able to keep up with the Chiefs the way they did. The Broncos were able to do some things on defense that slowed down the Chiefs. So I think the Dolphins should uh, take some of those, study that tape that the Broncos had and implement some of those strategies against the Chiefs. The Dolphins played the Bengals last week and they beat them 19-7. to They were down, I believe they were down at halftime and then they came back in the second half and took control of that game. So the Dolphins, it was a, it was a pretty good win. It wasn't as convincing as I would have liked to see it against the Bengals. And their offense has not looked amazing since Tua took over. Uh, their yards are down. Their, um, their third down efficiency is down. I, uh, but the turnovers are down. So I think that's good for Tua. He, he still hasn't thrown an interception. So good for Tua. Um, the Chiefs do have the second second rated score in defense. They scored 30.8 points per game. That. That going against the Dolphins' second-best scoring defense, they only allow 17.7 points per game. So battle of defense. It's going to be the Dolphins' defense versus the Chiefs' offense. That's the key to the game. Can the Chiefs' offense score points on the Chief, on the Dolphins' defense? The Chiefs have the second-fewest giveaways in the NFL. They've only turned the ball over eight times. Patrick Mahomes takes care of the ball. If we've seen anything over the last three years is that Patrick Mahomes takes care of the football. And the Dolphins have the second most takeaways in the NFL. They have 21. They have two bookend cornerbacks um, on each side, Xavier Howard and Byron Jones, two of the highest paid cornerbacks in the game. I believe they're, four and f- they're fourth and fifth highest paid cornerbacks in the league. So they spend a lot of money on these cornerbacks. They're getting paid handsomely. Byron Jones was a offseason pickup. So the Dolphins do have the players on defense to give the Chiefs some trouble. Xavier Howard leads the NFL with eight interceptions. I think he's going to have to have one, a big game this week for the Dolphins to have a chance. I do give the Dolphins a chance. The Dolphins definitely have a puncher's chance. They have the defense to keep up with them. And if the offense could get some points on the board against the Chiefs defense, then they'll be in contention. Um, the Dolphins do allow the fourth best completion percentage, or they have they allow the fourth worst. They're the fourth best when it comes to completion percentage. They only allow 634 of their passes completed, but they allow the most yards, the third most, the they allow the second most yards per catch. So when they do give away completions, they're for big chunks, almost 12 yards per catch. And they get 83 QB hits tied for six in the NFL. So they do get pressure on the quarterback. They don't always sack him, but they do get quarterback hits. I think the Dolphins are going to have to win this game with special teams and with their defense, they have one of the best kickers in the league, so they should be able to get points even if they don't move the ball that well. Just get them anywhere between between 40 to 50. They should be able to get some field goals. But to beat the Chiefs, you can't settle for field goals. You have to score points. Do I trust Tua to get that offense on track? Hit Gusecki, hit, hit uh, Parker. Is Gaskin going to play good? Do they have enough? That's the real question. Do they have enough to beat the Chiefs? Uh, that's a tough question. I don't think they do. I think I think it's going to be a good game. I think for the most part, the defense should be able to hold up against uh, the Chiefs. I think you put Byron Jones on um, 
on Kelsey. I think Byron Jones is a little bigger. He's physical. He could he could uh, keep up with Kelsey for the most part. You put Xavier Howard on Tyreek Hill, and then you hope for the best. You hope the other people don't beat you. I think Sammy Watkins should be back. So we'll see how he does. But I just don't trust the Dolphins' offense to keep up with the Chiefs' defense. Even the teams that the Chiefs have lost to throughout the years, the Patriots namely, they still scored 30-plus points on them. Do I trust the Dolphins' offense to score 30-plus points? I do not. I think it's going to be a good game. It's going to be a lot of positives from the Dolphins to take away from this game. It's going to show that they're in the right, going in the right um, direction. Brian Flores definitely has this team going somewhere. I trust Brian Flores going forward. I think Brian Flores has the potential to be the best coach to come out of the Bill Belichick coaching tree, but I just think they don't have enough on the offensive side at this point in time to beat the best team in the NFL, in my opinion, the Chiefs. So I have the Chiefs winning, breaking away late at the end. Chiefs 20, 33, Chiefs 33, Dolphins 21. Final score, they win by almost two possessions. Chiefs 33, Dolphins 21 is my final prediction. I think it's going to be a good game. I think the Dolphins are, are going to keep it close. They're going to lose by 12 points, in my opinion. But it's going to be a one-possession game most of the game. And the I think the Chiefs are not going to break away until the end. They're going to be in the low 20s, low 10s, and then they'll break away in the fourth quarter. And they finally get it going, and they break away. And just, the Dolphins just don't have enough firepower. 21 points for the Dolphins. That's around what I expect them to score. And the defense will hold up against the Chiefs, but you just can't. The Chiefs are just uh, offensive juggernaut. It, it's hard to contain them the whole the whole game. So 33 Chiefs, Dolphins 21 is my final prediction <clears throat> and the last game i really wanted to get into on sunday night football the steelers play the bills the steelers still come in as the number one seed they lost his last week on monday night football to the washington football team they come in at 11 and 1 the bills are the number three seed in the afc they come in at 9 and 3 they also played on monday night football the late game the actual monday night football they beat the 49ers they're 9 and 3 their first place in the afc east um the Steelers lost 23-17 to to Washington football team. It was a rough game. They had a big lead. They had a double-digit lead against the Washington football team, and then they blew it. The Steelers have been playing kind of weak, kind of down to their competition the last few weeks. Uh, they barely beat the Cowboys. They barely beat the COVID Ravens. The Ravens had a lot of players on COVID, on the COVID reserve list. They were without their quarterback. They were with a lot, a lot of replacement players that shouldn't be starting for NFL teams, and they barely beat the COVID Ravens. So watching those games against the Cowboys, against the Ravens, you're like, okay, like, is this fool's gold? Is this fool's gold what we're seeing from the Steelers? Uh, there's a lot of, there's a lot to, like, be weary of when you were watching the Steelers. You, they look good, but they by no means did they look like they were an 11-0 team. A lot of people call them the most fraudulent 11-0 team. I can see where that comes from because their schedule was pretty soft. And just the eye test didn't, didn't uh, really, they didn't really look like an 11-0 team. Usually, if you're in an 11 and 0 team, you you're a Super Bowl favorite, and you, there's a way that you could really visualize that team being a Super Bowl champion. They're 11 and 0. You're like, okay, they have they have what it takes to go all the way. When I see the Steelers, even when they were 11 and 0, I never thought they were better than the Chiefs. I didn't think they could beat the, the whoever came out of the uh, the NFC either. I, I didn't think they could beat the Packers or the Saints. They looked like a good team, but they, they didn't look like an amazing team. 
So that loss to the Washington football team, I wanted to call it, but I didn't. Didn't really surprise me though. Eleven and one. And on the other hand, the Bills, the Bills are trending upwards. Josh Allen has taken that next step. He looks like a quarterback that could take over games. That it doesn't matter what defense you're playing against, he's gonna make plays. He's gonna extend plays. He's gonna look for receivers down the field. He's gonna be able to bring you back in games. Josh Allen put on a show on Monday Night Football. He reminds me a lot of Big Ben. He's just as tough as Big Ben. He's big. He's 6'5", like 240 pounds. He's a mammoth of a player. It's hard to take him down. And he's hard. He's he's tough. He's tough as now. If you guys watched the game against the Chargers, there was a sack. I think Joey Bosa sacked him, and Josh Allen fell really awkwardly. His his I think his left leg got stuck, and he, he twisted on his knee. And it looked bad. I thought he tore his ACL. I thought there was some ligament damage. I thought for sure, for sure, I thought he was going to miss some weeks. And it looked bad. He was laying on the ground for a little bit. They took him out to the sidelines. And then, like, a couple plays later, he comes back in. And I'm like, dude, what, what is this man made of? How did this man not get injured? And I, I've had the same reaction with Big Ben a lot of times, especially when he was younger. I know he missed all of last season with an elbow. But when, when Big Ben was younger or when he was in his prime, there was a lot of plays where he'll get sacked from the bottom, sacked from the top, like hit from the bottom, hit from the top, and he just bends like like ways that your body's not supposed to bend. And he just gets right back up, like just picks his, himself up and starts jogging back to the line of scrimmage after a completion. That's Josh Allen. Josh Allen is like the modern version of Big Ben, like more a little more more mobile, just as big as arm. Big Ben ha- Big Ben has a big arm. He still has a big arm. He had a bigger arm in his prime. But Josh Allen is basically the modern-day version of Big Ben, just able to extend plays, able to run a little bit, tough-ass nails. Um, but, yeah, Josh Allen, I've been really impressed. He started really hot, and then he, he kind of teetered, teetered off and played a little worse in the middle parts of the season. But he did hurt his shoulder, I believe, and I, I think it's getting better. As, as you can see, he's running hard again. Uh, and... Stephon Diggs. Stephon Diggs has really helped the development of Josh Allen. Having a number one receiver like that in Stephon Diggs really helps develop quarterbacks. I've said it this whole season. I love what the Bills did in trading for Stephon Diggs. I love what the Cardinals did in trading trading for DeAndre Hopkins. Kyler Murray in his second year. Uh, Josh Allen, I believe, in his third or fourth. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's his third. Coming on his third year. I like what I like when teams help out their quarterbacks and get them a true number one weapon. Stephon Diggs is having his best season in the NFL this year, and he put on his, on Monday Night Football. He put on a show too. He had Verrett, he had Richard Sherman on him, and he was making them dance. He was shaking them. There was like a five yard out play where he cuts in. He, he kind of like does his little movement on the line. I, I don't know what you call it, like breaking down. And then he went right, and then he looked at the quarterback, and then broke left, and he just destroyed Verrett. It was one of the highlights of the of the of the game. And everybody was talking it on social media. Like the gap he created between Jason Verrett and himself on a, like a five yard route. That was impressive. He's one of the best uh, route runners in the NFL. Him and Keenan Allen are probably and Devontae Adams. Devontae Adams, Stephon Diggs and Keenan Allen are probably the best route runners in the NFL. Uh, in whatever order you want to put them in. But that has really helped the development of um, Josh Allen and Cole Beasley in the slot. Cole Beasley's a great route runner too. Small, quick, shifty. 
So Stephon Diggs, Beasley in the slot, I think they're going to be too much for that Pittsburgh defense. Pittsburgh is going to ha- have some injuries in the linebacker in their linebacker court. And Joe Hayden got hurt last game. He's being evaluated for a concussion. So we'll see. We'll see how that defense holds up. That's the bread and butter of that team. Their defense, the Steelers go as their as their defense goes. They have one of the best defenses in the NFL. But they are getting hit by injuries at this point in the NFL season. And their the Steelers play overall hasn't hadn't been that strong the last few weeks. It looked like a loss was coming. It finally came against the Washington football team, but it looked like it was it was a long time coming. It looked like they should have lost maybe two, three weeks ago. And the rushing the Pittsburgh rushing offense. Uh, I think the Pittsburgh, to help out their defense, they need to have long drives, keep them nice and fresh so when they come onto the field, they're rejuvenated and they're able to play to their peak level and they're able to carry that team. But Pittsburgh rushing offense is one of the worst in the NFL. Against the Washington football team, they ran for 21 yards on 13 attempts. So they didn't even really attempt to run the ball. They used the short passing game as an extension of the running game. But even that wasn't really working against the Washington football team. Big Ben threw the ball 53 times. Big Ben's like 39 years old, 38 years old. I believe he's 39. Big Ben's like 39 years old. There's no reason he should be throwing the ball 53 times. And just exposing himself to making costly turnovers. They they need to find a run game. If they're not able to find find a run game, I don't give them a chance against the Bills. And I don't think they will. Ultimately, I don't think they will. And I think the Bills' offense is just going to be too much for the Steelers' defense on Sunday Night Football. I do have it being a close game. Sunday Night Football games, this, this is going to be a good game. I think it's going to come down to maybe the last possession. I, I love when Sunday Night Football games are good. I think Sunday Night Football is the best primetime game of the week. Better than Thursday Night Football. Better than Monday Night Football. I love Sunday Night Football. I, I, I like their commentators. I like uh, Collinsworth. I like uh, uh, Al Michaels. I'm going. I'm I'm sidetracking. I like I like Sunday Night Football, but I think this is gonna be a good game. I do have the Bills getting the victory. I don't think it's gonna be that high scoring. Maybe it's gonna be 27 Bills, 24 Steelers is my prediction. 27 Steelers, 27 Bills, 24 Steelers is my prediction. The Bills keep moving up, and then once this happens, the Bills will just be one game behind the Steelers with the head-to-head advantage. So the Bills might steal the second. In my opinion, they might steal the the second seed from the Steelers. But that doesn't mean anything now in the NFL. Their seven teams make the playoffs. Only one team gets a bye. And I don't have the Steelers or the Bills getting the bye. I have the Chiefs getting the bye. So in the end, if they fluctuate from two to third, it might not make that big of a difference. But I do have the Bills beating the Steelers 27-24 to 24 on Sunday Night Football. And, that, and that's where my – that wraps it up for my NFL predictions this week. Uh – now, moving along to the Premier League. So, match day 12 of the Premier League kicks off this weekend. Crazy. We're about a third of the way through the Premier League already. It's been a fun 11 weeks so far. Match day 12 should be another good week. There's three games that I'm very excited for this weekend. Wolves versus Aston Villa. Manchester United versus Manchester City. And Everton versus Chelsea. Um, first game, Wolves versus Aston Villa. Um, Wolves got trashed by Liverpool last week, lost 4-0, um, looked dead, looked um, disappointing in the bag, looked uninspiring going forward. They just It was a bad game for the Wolves, their second 4-0 defeat this season. 
Um, is it is it time to panic? Is it time to ring all the bells? I don't think so. It was the first game without Raul Jimenez after he had his gruesome injury against Arsenal. Um, and we were playing the champions at Anfield. Liverpool is in amazing form right now. They have a lot of injuries, but it doesn't seem to matter. Klopp has a well-oiled machine. Plug and play. Whoever they put on the field is just playing great at this moment for Liverpool. So by no means is it was it a good defeat. 4-0, you should never get destroyed 4-0. But it was against the champions. So hopefully it was just a hiccup and they're able to move on. I do think the Wolves going forward are going to have growing pains. There's two things that give me cause for concern in the Wolves. First one, Raul Jimenez. He's contributed over 40 in 47% of their goals since he joined the Wolves two off seasons ago, two summers ago. So he's an integral part of their offense. Everyone knows that. Everyone knows how big of a player Raul Jimenez is. The Mexican sensation. He's been amazing for the Wolves. He's a star. Um, he makes the Wolves go, you know, as far as role goes, the Wolves go. He is that. He is their star. He is their main player. And he's not just a goal scorer. He's a great link-up player. He can hold the ball. He plays good with the back to the goal. He's great movement. He's fast. He's he's a good dribbler. He's a complete number nine. So the Wolves are definitely going to miss him. There's no timetable for his return. Thankfully, for all Jimenez, uh, reports earlier this week said that he's back in his in his house recovering with his family. So that's good news. And then I believe on Wednesday, he went to... Uh, practice, not practice, but he joined practice with the Wolves, made an appearance, let everyone see him again. So good news for the Wolves, good news. Very, very happy for Ole Jimenez. All reports say, as far as I'm reading, is that he should make a complete comeback. He should be fine. He should be able to step back onto the field. No timetable yet, as I said, but those are all good news. But like I said, that's my number one concern for the Wolves is that they're missing their main man, Raul Jimenez. Where are they going to find the goals? Where are they going to find the creativity? Because Raul Jimenez has a lot of assists too. So he doesn't just score. He creates chances for other teams. He makes great runs. He attracts attention from the back four, from the opposing back four, back five. He's just he's 6'3", so he's an aerial presence too, not just on the offensive side, but on the defensive side. That's, I mean, that's how he got injured, unfortunately. He was defending a corner kick. He's great at winning aerial, du aerial duels either on the defensive end or the offensive end. So, Raul Jimenez will deeply be missed. There's no need to keep emphasizing, to keep hampering on him. But Raul Jimenez, that's the cause for concern. And the second one, the Wolves this season are trying to transition into a back four. Um, they're well known for having a back five, having three center backs, and being a team that sits back and gets you on the counterattack. And it's worked perfectly well over the last two seasons. Top seven finish, surprised people a lot, a lot the first season. and. They weren't surprising teams second second season. The people knew they were coming, and they still finished seventh, which ultimately is a pretty good finish both times, especially the first year, second year. Maybe there was higher expectations to finish in a European position, finish in Europa League, finish in the Champions League spot. There was whispers that we could potentially finish as a top four, but that didn't happen. And now Nuno is trying to transition the team into a back four, being a team that has possession more that doesn't just sit back, but actually goes forward and tries to be the aggressor. And so far, it's been a mixed bag. There has been games where it's looked good, namely against Arsenal. I think the back four looked great. And then the back four looked pretty bad against Liverpool. So it's just a the balance. There's going to be growing pains. 
I'm I'm not one to say we should go to back to a back five. If we're gonna do this transition to a back four, I think we should fully embrace it and keep pushing forward and see where it takes us. Because if we do want to take that next step as a bigger team that competes for European positions, that maybe even challenges for a top four finish, and that once hopefully once we get those European spots, we're able to go deep into the into those tournaments, not just like last season when like we looked very. I don't know. If if there's Wolves fans listening to this, but that game against Sevilla last year, it was very uninspiring. There was not a lot of creativity going forward. That's when I knew that I'm like, okay, this back five approach has its limits, has its limitations. There's a ceiling for this. And if we want to break that ceiling and keep going forward, I think we do have to go to back four and become more of an aggressive team. So I, I'm all for it. Let's do it. Let's, if there's growing pains, there's growing pains. And, I'm along for the ride. I think Nuno knows that he has job security with the Wolves. So even if he slips a couple games trying to transition to his back four, I think he should be fine. So I'm all for it. I think we should just keep pushing forward and see where we could get with this back four. Especially because I like the players we have going forward. Especially against Arsenal, the way the way we were set up with um, having Potence, Neto, and Adama Trade all on the field behind the number nine, behind Raul Jimenez. And then he got hurt, and it was Dan Silva. I like that formation. I didn't understand against Liverpool having Potence as the false nine and having no one up top as a true number nine. I think that hurt us against Liverpool. I think that we were missing a presence, especially when you have two wide players like Potence. I mean, like uh, Traoré and Raúl Neto. When you have two players that could get to the touchline and get crosses in, if you don't have a presence in the middle, it just kind of wastes the two players on the wide, the two wide players that you have, like they don't have no one to get, uh, to provide crosses for. So I think Potence plays good as a, as a number 10 or like the top of a, of a three in the midfield. And then we should put Fabio Silva. I know Fabio, Fabio Silva is going to help us. I think he's young. He's 18 years old. There's a lot of pressure on him. The club record fee for transfer when they got him in from Porto, 18 years old, doesn't have that much first team experience. Even with Porto, with us, even less. But I think it's time to try him out. He did not look bad. I just want to harp on this. He did not look bad against Arsenal. He was The ball looked good on his foot. He, he didn't look scared. His, his hold-up play was pretty solid. He was connecting with his wide players. He didn't look scared. That's, that's the main thing. When I see him go onto the field, he doesn't, he doesn't look scared. He looks lively. He looks like he wants it. I think this is the perfect game to put Fabio Silva in. And give him mean, meaningful minutes, not just give him play like the last five minutes of a game or on stoppage time or when we're down 3-0 or 4-0 against Liverpool and there's no hope of coming back and you're just throwing him in there. Or when you're down even one goal and you're putting a lot of pressure on him to go score the tying goal. Put him in at the start when it's 0-0, when it's fresh, when he could really find his footing on a game, get into the flow of the game and not just be put into the pressure that, okay, he has to go score the tying goal. And especially when you're coming back from, from maybe I'm ranting right now, but when you're putting him in when we're down and he needs to go score the goal, at that point, is he's just kind of looking for crosses. He's just a point target, man. If you put him in at the beginning of the game, when it's 0-0, he could actually get into the flow of the game, drop back, make runs, go to the, go to the sidelines, find his movement, become a regular number nine, see what he's, he, he's made of. When you put him in and when we're down, it becomes a little harder to see what he's actually capable of because usually the other team is just sitting back trying to hold on to whatever lead they have. They're not really like 
going. It's not a zero-zero game where both teams are going back and forth. That's what I'm trying to say. But I think we got to give Fabio Silva some time. We got to start him. And either put Potens or Neves as the as a um, more attacking midfielder. Neves, I think Neves has been a little bit underperforming this season. I expected him more from him. He, I, I actually am big fan of Neves, but I think as a holding midfielder, as as a six, he's not that. He's good, but he's not that good. I think we need to give him a little more liberty. Maybe play Dan Docker in the back, uh, Montino. Let them play from the number six row, and then put Neves as the eight. And if it, if it cal- if it costs us one wing player, uh, maybe you can put Potence in the bench or put Trotta in the bench. Uh, not Neto, he's on fire, but one of those two, and then put Neves as your as your ten or your number eight, and then go from there. Because Neves, I think he needs to play better. He hasn't made a big of an impact this season. Uh, he's young. I expected way more from him. So th- those are some things I want to see. Maybe put Neves a little higher. Put Silva as a target man, as a big body presence in the middle. Give him a shot from the beginning. Give him a 490. See how he's doing. And I think that should be that should be enough to beat Villa. Um, especially playing at Malin Hughes. Wolves are great at Malin Hughes, especially against teams that are not top six. That teams that are not top six that have gone to Malin Hughes the last two years. Wolves have like 13 wins, 10 draws. They haven't lost to anybody that's not in the top six. Even with all Jimenez missing, I think that should be enough. Aston Villa is going to be without Ross Barkley. He's been a great signing for them. He's really helped uh, power that midfield. He's he's a good player. He he's he has that connection with Grealish. And funny enough, they both got into somewhat of trouble this week. Uh, Ross Barkley turned 27 years old this week, and like most people that turn 27 years old, especially during COVID, you want to go get celebrate, get some dinner, get some lunch, and they did that. And apparently, they broke. Um, COVID protocol in England because they're in the tier two region and apparently from what I read if you're in the tier two region in England you can't meet up with somebody of a different household and eat indoors or outdoors something like that they did it obviously they're in England they're soccer players everyone recognizes them someone took a picture someone took a video let Aston Villa know and honestly I'm not surprised Aston Villa did not punish them Uh, they're too Grealish is their main star Ross Barkley has been great for them. I'm not surprised that they did not punish them. But it is kind of ironic because just last weekend, Aston Villa didn't play because their game against Newcastle got postponed because uh, Newcastle had an outbreak in COVID. So just the weekend after your game gets canceled because of COVID, you break COVID COVID protocol. Maybe not the best call. Um, Maybe they didn't think it through. It was a birthday, so I kind of get it. But it is COVID, so... I just hope they get their head straight and they don't break COVID protocol again because I, I would hate to keep seeing games get canceled. But Aston Villa versus Wolves. Aston Villa has comes in at 12th position and they have two games at hand. So they have been doing pretty good relative to their games that they've played. If they do win those two games that they have at hand, they have a potential to be top five in the table. So the, the number 12 position is kind of um, murky. They're not really 12. They, they could go up. And Wolves come in at 10th. For for a while, it was their best start, but after this loss to Liverpool, I don't I don't think anyone would consider this their best start to a season. They're tenth, so we'll see how the Wolves do. But I do think they have enough to beat Aston Villa. Uh, Aston Villa has had a surprise season. They were one of my picks to go t- down into relegation, and they're doing pretty good right now. So we'll see if they're able to keep it up. But I do have the Wolves beating Aston Villa two one at home and getting back on track after losing four zero to Liverpool. <coughs> 
Well, that was game number one of this weekend that I'm very interested in. Game number two, Everton versus Chelsea at Goodison Park. Everton started off real hot this season. I don't need to fill you in. Everyone knows how good they did at the beginning of the season. Uh, amazing form. James was on fire. It looked like Ancelotti had all his tactics right. Everybody was playing good for Everton. And then uh, what happened? They just lost their form. Um Everton became Everton again. It was 2020 has been weird. One of the weirdest things was Everton doing good. Those are some of the jokes that have been popping up since they've been uh, in this bad form. And now they find themselves as ninth, ninth petition after starting top of the table for like the first few weeks and everybody getting on the bandwagon. I even remember uh, I was on Reddit. I was on the Premier League Reddit and I was people were asking, you guys think Everton has enough? to win to win the whole thing to win the premier league is this a fluke and there was like there's legit people arguing the fact that everton had enough to win the premier league they were like calvert lewin is doing great uh you know james rodriguez uh real madrid was dumb to let him go uh he's a great signing he's gonna be the signing of the season for everton ancelotti's getting all his tactics right you know he's on his second year at everton full first off season so many people so many reasons for why everton was going to do great and I, I think I even commented on one. I was like, yeah, you got you to gotta pump the brakes on this because we always see a team come into Premier League every season and start off hot and everybody gets on their bandwagon and everybody's like, is, is the top six finally going to get broken apart? Is there going to be new teams in the top six? Someone's going to crack into the Champions League spot. And then time and time again, as the season progresses, those teams that started off hot, they fall off a cliff. Or they just don't have the squad depth. Once you get into November, December, when a lot of games get packed in and you got to shuffle your lineups, those people that are filling in, they're, they're just not good enough. You get suspensions, you get injuries, you drop in form. Like Once your star players drop their form, you don't have another player to take his position as the big teams do. Big teams like Chelsea, like Liverpool, like Manchester City, you have two, three players in bad form, all right, go sit in the bench. And I have two, three players of almost the same caliber, if not better, coming in from the bench and able to take your spot. These other teams don't have that. They need their, they need their star players to play good the whole season, to not get injuries, to not have drop in form, to not get suspended, to not have, you know, whatever, outside factors, outside of the life, um, influencing them, just to have a perfect season, just to be in contention. And I know there's cases like Leicester City not too long ago, and they were able to win. But it's just it's just a hard, hard thing to ask for a team that doesn't have, you know, that's not a top six team for them to be a champion. I'm going on a little rant, but I know a lot of people had Everton. And the people were actually believing in Everton. And then Richarlison, you know, he got three, three, four game suspension. And then there was injuries. Hamas missed some games. And now they're dropped in form and they're doing pretty bad. I'm not going to lie. Uh... In their last seven games, they've won one, lost four, and tied two in all competitions. So Everton is definitely trending on its way down. It's time to sell your stock. It's time to jump off the bandwagon. They're in ninth position, and I see them going lower before things start turning around. Um, last weekend, they tied to Burnley. And on the other hand, Chelsea started off kind of slow, and now they're picking it up. They're in their form of their life. Chelsea beat Leeds United 3-1. They were down 1-0. And then they came back, beat them 3-1, 14 games unbeaten in all competitions. Frank Lampard has his team on fire right now. um, Giroud is on fire. He's scoring goals for fun. He came in as a sub in the middle of the week, but he didn't score. But last week, he scored a hat-trick in Champions League. 
Uh, and then he scored another goal to kickstart his comeback against Leeds United last weekend. So Chelsea, Chelsea's trending up, Everton's trending down. But uh, the last six times that Chelsea has gone to Goodison Park, they've lost four of them. So Goodison Park has not been good for Chelsea. So we'll see how that goes. Um, Frank Lampard is a uh, did learn from Ancelotti. He said he he's influenced a lot by Ancelotti. He was his manager for a little bit. So I see the connection. They play similar styles, just... Lampard is implementing it better at Chelsea. He does have a way better, way deeper roster. <clears throat> so nothing against Ancelotti. I do respect Ancelotti a lot. Um, I am, I'm, a, I'm a Real Madrid fan, so I appreciate his time with Real Madrid. He kind of like kick-started that shift in culture when Ancelotti was a coach, and then he got fired, and then we had some other coaches, and then Zidane finally came. I digress. Ancelotti is a good coach. Lampard is still figuring it out. I think he's a good coach, too. He's kind of turning it around. They had some question marks on him, but lately it's hard to question his results. And uh, we'll see We'll see if he gets his tactics right. He will be without CH and Hudson-Odoi, um, two of his natural wingers. So he will be without two natural wingers. His only natural winger will be Pulisic. And he's been, you know, kind of injury prone. So we'll see if he's 100% fit. I do think he's going to start. And then Giroud, I think he's earned a start as a number nine. Even though they've spent big money on Werner, Giroud has to start this number nine in the form he's in in a pretty big game against Everton. And uh, Werner has been pretty good. Uh, once once uh, CH got hurt last game and they put Pulisic and Werner on the wings, they were both very dangerous. Werner has a lot of pace. Pulisic is a speed monster too. So I think if you put Werner on the right, Pulisic on the left, Giroud on the top, that should be enough firepower for Chelsea. And then you could put Mount, Conte, Kovacic, or somebody else in the midfield. And I think that would just be too much for Everton to contain. Uh, Everton doesn't have the best back four. Keane, Holgate, whoever you put in there. Um, Mina, I don't think that would be enough. I don't think it would be enough for uh, um, Everton to keep up with Chelsea. Uh, Coleman, Digne. Digne started off really hot, and then he's kind of teared off too, just kind of like this team. So I, I do think Chelsea will be able to ex ex expose those wings with Werner, with Pulisic. And I just don't think Everton has enough. Um, two teams going on completely different directions. Like I said, Chelsea's in third. They were top of the table last week for a little bit when they concluded their game. I do have them beating Everton 2-0 at Goodison Park and taking top of the table momentarily, um, waiting on Liverpool and Tottenham to results. But just I want to give Everton a chance. I want to give Ancelotti a shout-out and maybe say he could squeak out a tie. But... Unless Calvert-Lewin and Rodriguez get back on fire. And I just don't see them happening against uh, Chelsea. Mandy has been good in the back. He's been a good, solid signing. I think he's he's helped sure, sure up that back four, um, especially once you don't have Kepa starting no more. I, I think Kepa was a big problem that didn't get enough attention. He's not confident in the back. He, he allows a lot of goals that he could stop. And now you have Mendy, a solid goalkeeper that looks confident back there. He, he just shirts up that back four. And because of that, I have Chelsea beating Everton 2-0 at Goodison Park and going top of the table momentarily when that game concludes. <clears throat> and the third game, third and last game that I wanted to talk about for match day 12 of the Premier League, Manchester United versus Manchester City. Manchester United come in at sixth place. Manchester City come at seventh. But they do have Manchester... Oh, I think they both have games at hand. So they could go up in the table... Namely, Manchester City, I think they have one more game. Um, 
Let me check real quick. But I do have Manchester City going to Old Trafford and winning 3-1. Manchester United just uh, came back from getting kicked out of Champions League. They got kicked out of Champions League in crazy fashion. They played Red Bull Leipzig in the middle of the week, and they got down 3-0, and they made a furious comeback, 3-2, but this time they couldn't pull it off. Lose 3-2 to Red Bull, crash out of Champions League. They're going back to Europa one more time. And I think uh, United has kind of lost their way because uh, if they were actually a big, a big, big club, the club they claim to be, a world-renowned club, um, they're valued as probably the biggest club in the world. If if you lose in Champions League, if you lose in the group stages, if you don't make it to the uh, knockout stages, um, you know, changes have to come and coaches have to be held responsible. And I can understand if you're maybe top of the table or if you're in a Champions League spot, but Manchester United come in at sixth. Um, I know they've had some comeback wins, but if you're sixth in the in the Premier League, and you're out of Champions League in the group stage, uh, I don't think that bodes well for you, the coach. And I've been a big proponent of getting rid of Ole, and I still am. I think he got his tactics all wrong against Red Bull. He put like five defensive players. He put three center bags, two wing bags, and two um, defending midfielders against Red Bull. Red Bull, by no means, is a bad team. Respect for Red Bull. They played great. Angelino had a great game. He had a great goal. Great cross. Shout out to Angelino. MLS. He played in MLS in New York for a little bit. So shout out to Angelino. But if you're Manchester United, you're the most expensive club in the world. You're, you're valued at the highest. You're Manchester United. You're a legend. You're you're people think of the Premier League. People think of Manchester United. You should be one of the main. You should be a main character in the Champions League. You should be, you know, fighting to the end every single time. I don't care if they're slump. I don't care if they've been struggling in this last few years. You've been spending money. You're 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 a top dog. You should be a top dog, and I just don't like the fact that they went into that game with five defensive players. It looked like they were just playing for the tie, or like we're not gonna lose. So instead of going in there, going for the win, and just top of the table, leave no questions. Don't leave it up to anybody. Not don't sit back and defend. And in the end, it cost them. And keep playing the hair cost him too. He had a howler of mistake in the third in the third goal. He looked timid. One thing you can't be as a goalkeeper is be afraid. You can't be afraid as a goalkeeper. That's probably the position in the field that requires the most confidence, requires the most um, um what's it called? Strength, requires the most being the most headstrong, being confident. That's the position that you need to be the most headstrong. And you could tell that David De Hell came out timid, he came out scared. He was undecisive, and it cost Manchester United that third goal. And they did make, they did score two late goals. So if David De Gea doesn't let that goal go in, then maybe we're talking differently about them. They go through to the group stage, and Ole has more security, even though the executives have said that they're backing him, that they believe in him. But I think he has to go to Henderson if they have a chance to play against City. I think David De Gea has had his mistakes over the last few years. They're very well publicized. Everyone's talked about them. Every time he has a mistake, Twitter blows up. Everyone, I don't have to fill in anybody on the mistakes he's had. I feel like you've caught one of them, one of these howlers that he's made. And I think it's time to move on to Henderson. And as far as City, they started off slow, but they've turned it around the last few weeks. After losing to Manchester City, after losing to, I mean, Tottenham, um, that 2-0 loss to Mourinho, they've had five straight clean sheets. So that defense is starting to get its mojo that offense is starting to score again. 
they beat 3-0 Mercedes. Then they beat they won 2-0 at Fulham, or they beat Fulham 2-0, and then they beat Burnley 5-0 on their last two games in the Premier League. So they're starting to find their boots. They're starting to find their goals, um, and it was great to see uh, Aguero score coming back in Champions League. He scores in the middle of the week. So um, Guardiola said he's not going to start against Manchester United, but it's good to see him back. Um, if, if Manchester City want to make a real title threat this second half of the season, this last two-thirds of the season, they're going to definitely need Aguero. And by that, I just have uh, City being too much. being too There's too much firepower in City um, for them to lose to Manchester United. I still don't trust their defense. I don't trust De Gea in the current form he's in. So I have Manchester City beating Manchester United 3-1. And Oli's job is going to come into the question at the end. Again, I just think you can't keep coming back every single time. I know he has comeback wins against Everton, Southampton, and West Ham, but that's not something that you could build on. That's not something that you could consistently do. And their record at home has been atrocious. Their record away has been great. I think that just shows just the fluctuation week in and week out of their performance, not even just week to week, have to have uh, that United team is just super inconsistent. That's, an, that's the one thing you could, you could say about Oli's United. They're inconsistent. They're not consistent. They have a lot of highs and they have a lot of lows. And those highs are high and those lows are low. And you're in for a roller coaster. If United wants to stay in this roller coaster that they're in, keep Oli. It's gonna get all the media, it's gonna get all the media headlines. People are gonna talk about United. It, it definitely they're definitely getting headlines. Oli, like I said, roller coaster as the United coach. Highs are high, lows are lows. I think United should get someone that's consistent and brings back. United to where they're supposed to be because United is a huge team and they should be more well respected. So I'm going on a rant, but Manchester City 3, United 1 is my prediction. And that wraps it up for the Hard to Handle Sports Podcast episode number 21. Thank you so much for listening to me. Thank you so much for hearing my predictions. Uh, please come back after this weekend of sports and we'll see how I did. We'll talk about the games. Have a great day.